before the country's beginnings as an independent nation. Hemp, fiber made from the cannabis plant stock, is one of the strongest and most durable materials in nature, and it was used throughout early American history to manufacture, among other things, cloth, twine, rope, paper, and sails. In 1619, all Jamestown colonists were required by law to grow and maintain hemp, and George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin grew the plant on their plantations and farms for domestic use. By the late 1800s, the drug had come to prominence as a useful and widely available medicine and was popular in pain-relieving tinctures sold in local pharmacies. Cannabis was believed to be so safe that the drug was marketed to women through romantic postcard campaigns that showed concerned mothers applying a cannabis salve to soothe the gums of teething babies and relieve children's colds. As a pain reliever, marijuana worked wonderfully. Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, the principal psychoactive component found in the leaves of the female cannabis plant, is a mild analgesic and anti-emetic that was used to treat the pain, cramps, nausea, and fatigue of everyone from 19th century American children to Chinese peasants in the Zhou dynasty, 1046 to 256 BC, to Queen Victoria of England, who used it to relieve her menstrual cramps. Despite its popularity, however, marijuana's role in American medicine was short-lived. With the forces of progressivism rallying around ideals of sobriety and the tide of prohibition rising, Treasury Department officials lobbied to have marijuana added to the drugs covered by the Harrison Narcotics Tax Act, passed in December 1914. The act, sponsored by Representative Francis Burton Harrison of New York and one of the first federal drug control laws, didn't explicitly outlaw marijuana, but rather regulated and taxed the production, importation, and distribution of opiates and coca products. After the Harrison Act, along with the 1906 Pure Food and Drug Act, required drug producers to honestly label the contents of their tinctures, cannabis-based medicines slowly were either banned or replaced. Smokable marijuana didn't qualify as a narcotic, however, and remained in legal limbo until 1937, when the Marijuana Tax Act made the possession or transfer of cannabis illegal, while allowing states to enforce their own marijuana laws and to tax hemp and marijuana cultivation and distribution. Once effectively outlawed, marijuana took on a second life. Recreational marijuana smoking had been introduced to Americans in the late 1800s by Mexican refugees fleeing the dictatorship of President Porfirio Diaz. As it slowly spread north from the border, the drug grew controversial, primarily because of the people associated with its use. A 1917 report from the Treasury Department noted that in Texas, only Mexicans and sometimes Negroes and lower-class whites smoked marijuana for pleasure and warned that drug-crazed minorities could harm or assault upper-class white women, by far the report's chief concern. Fears about its ability to induce violence would continue to haunt the debate over marijuana throughout the early 20th century. For instance, films like Reefer Madness, released in 1936, associated marijuana use with murder, miscegenation, and suicide as it showed the transformation of a group of otherwise upstanding young white people into a laughing cabal of maddened criminals. Even with the drug's stigmatized reputation, however, marijuana use spread across the country over the next few decades, and its popularity continued to grow. 
It was the subject of increased debate in the 1930s when Harry Onslinger took control of the newly founded Federal Bureau of Narcotics and launched a campaign against marijuana that would last the rest of his 32-year career. It was Onslinger, angered by the lack of federal action against the drug, who lobbied for the passage of the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. He also published a series of anti-pot articles in The American Magazine. In his most famous, Marijuana, Assassin of Youth, which appeared in July 1937, Onslinger warned that the drug was as dangerous as a coiled rattlesnake and declared that the number of murders, suicides, robberies, criminal assaults, holdups, burglaries, and deeds of maniacal insanity it causes each year, especially among the young, can only be conjectured. In part because of its hyperbolically bad reputation, smoking tea was celebrated in cities like Los Angeles and New York as the new way to enjoy the jazz age.